You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. Today, we're going to be talking about data, the importance of data, particularly you know during the pandemic and what the data can tell us and what trends do we expect to see um, moving forward. And with me today is a team from Revenue Management Solutions, RMS, and we have Chris Norton and Christina Norton. So welcome to you both. So first, what does RMS do and how do you help restaurants? Yeah, thanks, Barbara. Wonderful to be here. Appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak with you. Revenue Management Solutions uh, is a 25-year-old organization that has worked very, very closely with fine dining restaurants to quick service restaurants to develop uh, demand-driven pricing through the analysis of POS data. So essentially what we do um, is we look at the historical data um, from an individual restaurant, it's usually two plus years, and based upon the data that we see uh, from their POS, uh, when price has been changed, when LTOs, uh, uh, limited time offers have been uh, added to the menu, when value propositions have been added to the menu board, we understand the reaction of the consumer based upon that historical POS data. And then utilizing that data in our regression modeling, we develop um, gross profit and traffic sensitivities to understand the um, items on the menu board that are the most optimal to move in terms of increasing price so as to not affect guest counts, meaning if a restaurant has a positive guest count trend or a negative guest count trend, the pricing that we deliver to them in terms of uh, price additions will not affect that trend line. So it's guest count neutral. But we will affect their bottom line 100%, meaning that the price that's added to the menu board will flow through. There will not be negative trade. People won't trade out of the restaurant. So essentially what we're saying to operators is, here's the optimal time to take price in your restaurant. Here are the optimal items that you should take price on. And then based upon that, we let that marinate in the system for a period of time. And we can reanalyze the results of the, uh, of the price addition. So the long and the short of it is we're demand-driven pricing. We utilize the science and take the emotion out of pricing in order to partner with operators to deliver to them the optimal pricing solutions for their restaurants. I love that you use the word marinate. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, you know, the company has been doing this for years. Um, So how important is all of that data to restaurant operations? Uh, You know, I think it's really important, especially as we, what we've experienced over the last year, you know, there's, there's been a lot of discussion that, you know, uh, that, that data is the most valuable currency in the world at the moment, right? So money makes the world go round, but but data is what leads to money in our current, you know, brave new world. Um, I like to refer to what we do um, in our partnership with, with franchisees, with operators, because again, it's important that when we work together with operators is that we they're, they're, they understand that we're not trying to take away um, their pricing strategy or the responsibility of pricing. They're very, very much part of this partnership. So we really call it the art and science um, of pricing. And the science is the data, right? That's what, what I call the DNA of a restaurant. And, and you know, if you look at two, uh, you know, I work a lot with QSRs, you look at, at two restaurants 
that could be four miles apart, and they're identical looking. Their menu boards are selling the same things, but their DNA is different. And their DNA is their POS data, their point of sale data, what their customers are buying. And the, the, the differences can be incremental in terms of the differences in their DNA, um, but they're very real. And if we capture that, that DNA, that data, that's how we can develop the optimal pricing solutions for each restaurant. So when, when we do our job properly at RMS, people don't know that, that a, a hamburger at restaurant A has a different price than a hamburger at restaurant B, which is the same brand. Because we've, we've, we've looked at that data, we've analyzed that data to understand that that item is less sensitive at restaurant A, um, and we can make that move. So, you know, when we, when we look at analyzing data and the importance of it to restaurant operations, we have that art and science. The science is the, is the, is the data behind, um, you know, the DNA, but the art is the, is the operators who we work with, you know, their passion, their knowledge for their business. Um, you can't take that out of the equation, you know, and I think that's one of the things that's, that's where we're unique at RMS is that we, we don't pretend that the, that the data is the only way that we can develop pricing. We need to marry that with the, with the, with the, 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 the business acumen of the franchisees, with their knowledge of running restaurants, um, with their individual knowledge at the restaurants. We can see it in the data. But speaking with them really, really helps us to combine that art and science. And I think that's how RMS has grown over the many years and continued to, to, to utilize the data and analyze the data to marry it with the specific needs at the restaurant level. RMS is not a cookie cutter organization. There's not a one size fits all. And that's what I was referring to restaurant A and restaurant B that can be three or four miles apart. They're different animals unto themselves. And the data shows us that as are the operators are of those two restaurants, right? Restaurant A can have a very efficient, clean restaurant. The washrooms are clean. The drive-throughs are quick. The staff are happy. Restaurant B, which is the same brand, can be the other side of that. We see that in our pricing uh, recommendations. They all have to marry together in order to develop the, the optimal pricing solutions. So you briefly mentioned the past year. So how has the pandemic changed restaurant data? And are there different things that people need to pay attention to now? And is some data just more important now? I think that I think that what's very important is that you can't look at you can't look at data in a vacuum, and you can't um, look at one piece of data and exclude um, the, the 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 rest of the specific data feeds that we get uh, because of something as unique as as COVID. Obviously. Um, the last 13, 14 months has, has drastically altered the purchasing habits of, of consumers. Um, you know, from, from those dine-in restaurants that suffered horribly because they had to change, you know, they had to change to survive. Many of them didn't because they simply weren't nimble enough to um, have, have a infrastructure in place where you can service the needs, continue to service the needs of your consumer without them walking in your door and sitting down. You know, if they didn't have drive-through capabilities, perhaps they didn't have a loyalty system, a mobile app where they could order, they really, really had to change how they operated. And, and, and through the data that we have, um, we saw that. Again, I work very closely with quick service restaurants, and you saw a drastic menu mix shift going from, um, what, what was the, 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 the statistic I was looking at, that 
And over the past, uh, when COVID started over a three or four month period, 88% of families visited um, in the previous two months versus 71% of single households. So if you have that data, if you're looking at the menu mix data and you're looking at and you're saying to yourself, my goodness, um, we're sending more, we're selling much bigger average check. Our average check is, is growing. Well, that's because families are coming through the drive-through or coming for or ordering delivery or, or pickup. Um, and, and they're doing it rather than what they were doing previously. Um, so we have to look at our menu and decide, okay, let's, let's focus more on bundling. Let's focus more on families. It's going to grow our average check. Um, we're going to see some benefits in regards to that. So, but, so looking at our data, um, we have to be cognizant of these shifts and we have to understand what's happening. Now, you have guest counts. You know, we look at guest counts. We look at, um, at average check. You look at the menu mix. Um, those are really, really key and integral in terms of, of the data that we have. But you also need to then look at the costs, the revenue centers, right? Going from delivery, going from drive-through and looking at dine-in, looking at how the, what the data is telling us about the loyalty programs and the apps um, that, 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 op, that, um, that brands have developed. That's the data. There's huge shifts in terms of the consumer behavior. And the data shows us that. It's not that necessarily that there's new data per se. It's just that the existing data that we have, we've seen seismic shifts in terms of, of, of the alteration and the emphasis of certain areas of the data that we have. So we'll let Christina in on the conversation a little bit. Um, so how did the pandemic affect guest expectations, guest behavior, and how do you see that evolving as the recovery escalates. Hi, Barbara. Yes, shifting expectations and behaviors. So with the pandemic, consumers had to adjust to a, to a contactless environment and their expectations also shifted. There's evidence, you know, the hygiene and safety as being the most critical in facing a lot of those unknowns. So with the solutions afforded by drive-through, takeout and delivery, new expectations formed. We also saw a greater tolerance for like certain limitations to help restaurants survive. A good example are the pared down menus. From our survey on drive-through, and that was at the end of last year, we saw the usual factors of convenience and speed. Those were the most important, but that was closely followed by service and experience, and then food quality. So the investments in improving the drive-through experience by many of the QSR brands over the past year have really created new standards, like such as efficiency and personalization. And these capabilities now become part of those expectations and a source of, of competitive advantage. I also so think just to jump, I also think Barbara just jumped in there. One of the things that that um, has affected guest expectations based upon and behaviors is is also their acknowledgement that they might need to pay more for their food, right? So I think what Christina touched upon is extremely important. And that's the, 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 the safety, security, the contactless nature of, um, of, of serving the clients. But I think also that consumer behavior has kind of recognized that perhaps we might need to pay more for this service because things have changed and, and they, they are becoming perhaps more accepting because over the last year that prices might be going up, which obviously, you know, as a pricing company, it's very interesting to us to measure that. I think the work that Christina's done um, with, with the team here at RMS is, has shown that, that 
you know, the consumers are saying, yeah, we, we know that some of the expense of doing those things that the important things that Christina touched upon, um, they're going to, co- it's going to cost, it's going to cost a little bit more. So that's also very interesting. So what can brands do to kind of respond to these evolving trends um, so they can maximize their revenue streams? Well, I, I, I really look at, um, and, and, the, and the, the brands that, I, I want to say they were prescient, but nobody, nobody necessarily knew that, that COVID was coming, of course. But there were brands who were already um, understanding you know, what we call the, the 3Ds, right? Where you look at digital dr- delivery and drive-through. And I think that there were brands who were building infrastructures or getting infrastructures in place because they knew that, um, you know, th- this is one way of maximizing um, an organization's revenue stream, right? Those, those three particular areas. Again, what we're trying to do here is create a personalized journey for, for a consumer. That's what brands are looking at doing, right? It starts and ends with the guest. It must drive value for the guests. So if we look at um, the revenue streams and, and how uh, brands have tried to maximize that, and we can even park COVID and, and what we've gone through, digital delivery drive-through um, have been paramount in the strategies of many, many organizations and many brands um, with, the, with the view of, as I mentioned, it starts and ends with the guests. So if whatever we're doing, it must drive value. So, you know, we talk about the whole digital revolution in terms of, um, you know, digital sales, which includes the app, kiosk and delivery, um, digital ordering and fulfillment. How do we, how do we uh, make it easier or make it more efficient for your loyal consumers through your app to order um the product from your from the food from your restaurant and how do we get that to it? so i mean there's when we focus on those three d's I, I get excited about that because i'm seeing huge differences in terms for example the drive-through what's going on with the with the drive-through and the technology that's that's being built into drive-throughs if you think back you know years and years ago you drove into the drive-through it was a single lane drive-through here's a big massive board in front of you with 65 different items on it you're panicking you don't know what you want because there's cars behind you and you simply order that's totally changed um, in terms of understanding your customer before your visit so i think that the whole the whole drive-through side of, of a revenue stream i mean what it's up to in some organizations 80 85 percent uh, of revenue um through the drive-through and obviously the, the pandemic pushed that drastically pushed that and those companies those brands that were prepared um, in terms of their infrastructure um, and quick service has been on top of that as you know um, they're the ones who maximize. We look at the, um, you know, what we look at the, uh, the, the the revenue streams during COVID, and and you know, there's a lot of brands that did very well in quick service. They really did because they were prepared or they were nimble enough to to react to what was going on. So yeah, those those three revenue streams, I think, in terms of what we went through, Barbara, the digital delivery and drive through, have been enhanced greatly. So first, what's next for drive through? Is it going to continue to, you know, have that big of a revenue stream um, or do you anticipate that it's going to kind of, you know, trace off a little bit as people get more comfortable going back to the dine-in experience? You know, I, I think that, I don't think it's, it, 
if there's a drop-off, Barbara, it could be it could be incremental. I really don't think it's going to be drastic. Um, as I say, if you look at some of the bigger global uh, quick service brands, even before the pandemic hit, they were investing heavily in in drive-through. Right, they were investing heavily in the drive-through technology because they recognized that this is a huge revenue stream for them. The pandemic simply pushed that forward immediately. Right? And I think that, as I mentioned, those that were, were already being prepared for that um, were in a better spot. But, I mean, it's incredible if you look at the technology that's, uh, that's involved in, in, in drive-throughs. And I mentioned previously about understanding your customer visit um, before their visit, right? And that's through the loyalty programs. You understand, you know, their, their, the history of their ordering. That's that data that's saying, okay, here's so-and-so that generally orders this. Um, geofencing helps us to understand when your customers are in your area. You know, geofencing basically is that radius um, around a point or location. So you can you can have a, a geofence with a predefined set of boundaries and it'll trigger uh, a loyalty program, um, you know, when, when your customers are in your area, which drives them, you know, into your drive-through. So you're already in advance of their visit, preparing for them because you kind of you've got that history. You know what they've purchased in the past, and that can pop up on their uh, on their mobile device. And then you've got this whole outdoor menu board strategy that that it's incredible to see the technology that's 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 behind that. And again, if you think back to the days when of of yore, where you basically here's the massive board that's ordered. Now, when you get in the in the drive through line, you've got your pre menu boards, which will pre sell. Uh, a little bit more persuasive than than just digital menus, since they devote more devote more real estate to single promotion items. So while you're waiting in line, it's usually a three or four car distance. Um, if you're waiting, you've got your pre board um, where you're starting then to appeal to 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 the consumer um, with with more than just a static image. Um, and then as they move towards their the, the, the outdoor menu board, you've got the whole. You want to make sure you have the right content, the right time, based on real time data. Right, real time data can be the time of day. Is it raining out? Is it hot out? Um, what's the history of this consumer in terms of their purchasing? So we can really, really, um, uh, you know, prepare a, 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 a specific order for an individual. We call that that suggestive selling engine. Um, the SSE, where it's a, it's a deep learning engine that recommends items for upsell once an initial order is given. You know, obviously, there, there, there's there's a huge. I get excited about this because it, you you then start to take this technology where you're marketing to the individual, you're selling to the individual based upon their previous purchasing habits or even based upon their first order. So they make an order through the through the speaker. The, the server adds, puts that into the POS, and that suggestive selling engine will then, based upon the algorithms or the, uh, the intelligence that, that it has, um, then, then bring up on the menu board potential additions to the order that you've made. Um, so it's incredible how, that, how they, can, uh, you know, they can take away the anxiety of looking at too many things and really focus on um, you know, delivering the, the optimal um, service to an individual, which also obviously uh, translates to the optimal revenue stream for the uh, uh, for the organization. So I'll have to stop there on that. But that's that's a portion of what drive-throughs are doing. And it's really really exciting to see how quickly um, um, brands have have adopted this technology. Uh, and, and there's a lot more that they're doing as well. So it's it's really really neat to see. So you talked a little bit about you know how data can take away anxiety, but can they also be overwhelmed 
with kind of the anxiety of having all of this data and knowing what to pay attention to? 100 percent, Barbara. And I think the key is that we don't want consumers to see the data, right? What we want to do is, um, you know, for example, these these pre-boards. One of the one of the, the cons or one of the challenges of having a pre-board, so that board that you look at before you get to the outdoor menu board, is that choice paralysis, right? Too much message, too much messaging can can literally revert a, a customer um, back to an initial offering rather than promote a positive trade, right? So I think that what we want to do is is the data is behind the scenes, and 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 the the brand is utilizing that specific data in order to do exactly what you just said, is to reduce the anxiety. So there isn't that choice paralysis that we understand who this customer is because they've been with us before, or by their initial order, and we and it which comes up on the order confirmation board or order confirmation um, unit, as they say. Once that's entered, that we can reduce all the choices and the consumer can see on that menu board ah so i ordered this and and the suggestive selling engine is 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 helping to say let's strip away these 10 to 12 different options let's focus on these three which does exactly you know your question it reduces that anxiety rather than um, rather than enhance it that's what data is doing for us it's making it easier for us to predict or to assist the consumer in their purchasing uh, behavior and driving revenue for the organization. So another revenue driver during the pandemic um, was uh, delivery. Um, So what does the latest data tell us about the status of delivery? Right. Our most recent survey was in April, and there was a dip in self-reported use of delivery. That was most pronounced by Gen Z and then by millennials. So maybe there's a little delivery fatigue. But I think also, you know, there's a a clearly a pent up demand for dining in restaurants and that desire for more social interaction is is there. Um, We see that throughout all our surveys, the the need for more social or the desire for more social interaction. Yet there's no signs of really slowing down for the drive through from our surveys and people. This is self-reported what channels they're using. What will be interesting to see is as society opens up more and more, whether there will be shifts between those channels that, you know, then people have a full spectrum of choices. So we will be definitely tracking that. So you think this feels like it's more going to become the norm and people will, you know, choose to dine in or delivery based on, you know, a variety of circumstances. If they're home, if they don't, if it's raining, you know, all of that data will kind of come into play as they choose the different uh, areas of revenue streams for the for restaurants. Right, right. And convenience is, you know, the degree of convenience convenience that they seek is is critical. And it's interesting is, you know, where is that little dip in delivery going? Is that going to drive through? Is it going mostly to um, more like, you know, dining in restaurants? That will be interesting to track. So as restaurants recover, you know, in what ways can they now better engage with their guests and their loyalty programs? So over the past year, we see many brands have really upped their game when it comes to loyalty programs. It's no longer just about rewards. And like you stated in the question, you know, what are the changes? And I think it's all about engagement and, and seeking to really be connected to a brand. And of course, that's different across the different generations. We see that in the surveys. 
Um, we, we see different values attributed to loyalty benefits. So the older generations report more interest in the rewards. Uh, younger generations really seek efficiency and personalization, particularly what they get through the brand's app. And, you know, that also ties into the brand community, the social media, and then it's, it's not just about the food and the brand enters into their whole social life and entertainment. I think it's really interesting with QSR brands, you, they've shown a lot of creativity and a lot of humor. And we see brands sponsoring like avatars and gaming, um, sharing music lists and, 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 you know, McDonald's famous order promotions. Those are, are really popular, really effective. So those are big changes. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that, um, you know, I think that, that the, the concept of the one-to-one -one personalized journey is, is much, much more enhanced. I also think, though, when you talk about um, as restaurants recover, how do they engage with their guests and loyalty programs more? I think one of the things that we're seeing happening, and, and uh, you know, one, one, of, one of my colleagues at RMS spoke about this on another, on another uh, uh, podcast, you see at the corporate level, um, the brands have always had people who are really, really um, um, engaged in restaurant operations. That's their that's their their history. That's their experience on their on the restaurant operation side. Uh, I think what you're seeing now is that there and there hasn't been a ton of digital transformation, right? I think what you're seeing now, it's certainly the brands that I'm working with. Um, what you're seeing now is the people that are moving into leadership positions. I think the brands are doing exactly what RMS focuses on with the art and science of pricing. They're looking at the art and science of, of restaurant leadership at the corporate level. So taking that data, realizing the value of that data, um, combining it with the passion of restaurant operations and what works, because you can't, you can't do away with that experience, right? Those people. It's a, it's a theater. It's a, it's a production when you go to a restaurant, be it a quick service or be it a fine dining. You have to have that. People have to know how to develop that culture. But you also need to really focus on the data side and understand that um, the, the digital transformation in order to, um, it, as, as restaurants recover, there is a seismic shift. There is a, there is a, 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 you know, a paradigm shift in, in the behavior of consumers. And how do you tap into that? Because we now have the data. And have the ability to utilize the data to, to really enhance that one-to-one um, -that -one service. Again, I, I stress that creating a personalized journey, it starts and ends with the guest, and it must drive value for the individual guest because there's a lot of options out there. And you have one chance to, to you know, to, to particularly with people that are downloading your loyalty app, you've got you've got an opportunity to keep them as a as a loyal customer because they've already shown you that loyalty. So how do you maximize their their experience? So costs are rising for labor um, and uh, and other products. Things are on the horizon. Um, so how do you see pricing coming into play in the near future? Yeah, it's. Listen, I think one of the big challenges that, that we've faced at RMS for, for many years, it, when, we, when we work with, with, with our franchisees, with our, with our partners, is to have the discussion with them, particularly in times when there's, 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 there's financial headwinds, be it minimum wage, be it commodity pricing, be it um, rebuilds, be it the investment in technology um, as the restaurants change that pricing is, is simply one of the levers that you can pull to mitigate those financial headwinds. It, it is not the only lever, Barbara, that, can, that you can pull. 
Because if you think of it this way, let's just focus on minimum wage and think about the, 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 the huge challenge that that, uh, that the QSR industry, for example, is facing right now with even hiring people and the, and the minimum wage going up and people saying, well, I'm not sure I want to focus, I want to pay that much, but they can't even get people into their uh, to work at their restaurants. So um, when these costs increase, you have operators saying, well, obviously, I want to... Um, translate or mitigate that cost through price. In some cases, it can be a five, six, seven percent price increase across your menu board just to meet those financial headwinds. And if you do that, you're going to absolutely shock your consumer with that additional price and you're going to experience drastic guest count erosion. So I think when you talk about rising uh, labor costs, when you talk about commodity costs, where organizations partner with us, they realize that, yes, it's one lever that we can pull, but it's also not a one-time price change solution. It's a strategic incremental increase in your pricing, which is which has been our methodology for years anyway. So you're not shocking your consumer. They might not even see the price change, but with that strategic incremental um, um, price changing of your menu board, you're, you're mitigating those headwinds. But there's also the P&L side of, of, of making your operations more efficient. We've seen uh, the menu boards reduced in complexity in order to, to you know, to, 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 to stop costs that way. I think we've seen the value proposition change in terms of, you know, how many value men, uh, menus there are and is that a foundation of a strategy for, for, uh, uh, for an organization. So I think there's several ways of, of, of mitigating those headwinds, but I think we've got to be realistic. While price is one of them, it's not the be-all and end-all, and we have to be very strategic in terms of how we layer price into the restaurants so we don't lose consumers because of sticker shock. So what trends do you see sticking as restaurants recover? Well, throughout the pandemic, we saw a decline in ordering food away from home for, for breakfast and lunch. And that's continued even as offices are reopening. Although in many cases, it's a hybrid model. So people are still partially working from home. So far this year, we've not actually seen a shift in, in you know, an increase in breakfast and lunch ordering from restaurants or delivery or, or you know, any of the channels. And we'll continue to track to see if that, you know, changes as more, as we become more and more open and working from offices. However, eating out for dinner has shown a constant increase and the self-reported plans to do so even more frequently um, as restaurants reach full capacity, it is is really clear, and that's across um, all all segments and all demographics. On a different note, an example of a new behavior is like the use of QR codes. Prior to the pandemic, there really was not much traction in using them, but QR codes proved to be a really great solution, and it limits the contact and was easy to use and and perceived to be very effective. So I think you, you now see all generations seem to be pretty comfortable with them. So I gave two different examples, but in terms of sticking what we call embedded behaviors, yeah, we, we don't see that rebound yet for breakfast and lunch. So tech played such a huge role in the pandemic. So what do you see as the restaurant of the future? Yeah, geez, that's that's the million dollar question, <laughs> in terms of uh, what's going to happen. I think what you know, Christina's touched upon the trends that we've um, that that it's in consumer behavior, and and I think that those things are going to be are embedded now in terms of 
um, of, of what to expect with, with your consumer. So based upon that, we take what the, the embedded behaviors that we see today, and then we think about how do you extrapolate on those and say, how can they shift um, uh, based upon uh, some sense of normalcy coming back to the restaurant experience? Um, I think that, uh, you know, if you look at, 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 the, at the table service style restaurants, obviously the whole safety and, um, uh, you know, security contactless side of, uh, you know, of delivering your product, it's always going to be there in some shape or form. I think that's fundamentally going to change dining room setup. It's going to change, um, you know, server process. It's going to change um, the, the, the customer experience um, when, they're, when they're dining out. I think that's something that, that, that's definitely going to change. When we look at at the at the quick service side, I think um, you know there there's been some phenomenal designs uh, that have been put out there in terms of what a quick service restaurant is going to look like in the service. And I use the the the, the, the analogy or the, the comparison to you know when you go to a car show um, and and you and you walk around to the different brands, the Fords, the the Toyotas, the Maseratis, the Porsche, what have you, and they all have that concept car, right? They all have that when you look at it, you say, wow, that's totally, totally off the charts, totally funky. Well, we're seeing some restaurant designs like that right now. And I think just like those really, really funky cars at car shows, those concept cars that never that we'll never see on the road, there are aspects though of those cars that are built into the ones that we do see on the road. And I think that's going to be a similar situation with a lot of those really funky restaurant designs that we're seeing. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, I've looked at a couple brands that have, you know, the, a fully contactless model, you know, with a suspended kitchen and dining room sitting above drive-through lanes. You know, and you look at that and you think, wow, okay, so you can still go in there and dine. It's reducing a footprint, right? Um, the drive-through customers, um, you know, have ordered. Uh, they, they're going underneath the restaurant. There's more drive-through lanes, but there's still that opportunity. Where, you know, the kitchen and the and the dining room is above. I think we're seeing um, different models, and there's different um, designs that uh, um, that the industry is looking at. Technology is only going to become more enhanced. Uh, you know, I think when we when we look at um, you know the, the whole concept of of uh, of the, 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 the voice activated ordering or the natural language processing. When you go to a drive-thru um, and you, you talk into the speaker to order your, your meal, instead of having a server um, you know, at, the, at the counter or you know, the drive-thru counter input your order um, with the, with the um, natural language processing, it recognizes what you're saying and it automatically puts your order into the POS, which actually gives the suggestive selling engine that deep engine that's that's um, you know that's that's really understanding what would go with this item. It gives another four or five six seconds to bring up the the upsell or bring up the the, the positive trade in terms of revenue. Um, I think that that whole that whole side of things is um, is is really interesting. As are you know the the, the, the vehicle tax, the license license plates. Um, as we call them in Canada, where no, it's it's not there yet. Obviously, there's privacy issues, but recognizing a, a tag when it comes into your restaurant and identifying that tag with you, the individual, and your and the loyalty program that you have, and what does that mean for orders? So, forever, I think that there's a there's a there's a huge um, influence of tech. We talk about robotics in 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 restaurants. Um, uh, you know, I remember I remember speaking with my dad years ago, and he brought up this idea of, "Hey, why couldn't quick service burger joints have have you know the robotics where they're making the burgers?" So I'm like, "Oh no, there's too much, too many complexities." Well, we're seeing that now, aren't we? We're seeing 
the, the early stages of this being introduced. So, um, you know, tech has played a huge role in the pandemic. I think it was playing a huge role before the pandemic, and that's something that we need to recognize, but it's only going to become more enhanced moving forward because of the experience that we just went through. Great. Thank you guys so much. This is perfect. Mm -hmm.